All right, turn your Bibles to Philemon. This is right before the book of Hebrews, after all the T's, 2 Timothy, 1 2 Timothy, Titus. It's a little one-page letter. This is what we're going to talk about this morning. This is, this is why I love that, the final song that we were singing in those lyrics. We're going to press into the idea of what it means to, to have been transformed by God, that we are being transformed by him today, and that we will be transformed by him in the future and that hope that he gives to us. But here we're going to sit in a variety of characters as Paul is writing a letter to this man, Philemon. And as we just finished Colossians, this is the reason why we think Paul wrote the letter to the Colossian church in the first place, is because he had a man, Onesimus, that he needed to send back to Philemon with this letter that we're going to read today. And it seems as though because Paul was having this personal connection with Philemon that he also determined at the same time to encourage the church, and that's why we have the letter to the Colossian church in general. But this is the occasion and what we're going to read through. So keep in your mind this idea of transformation. We're going to look at the lives of these individuals and what it is that Paul is writing, why he's writing, how it impacts our lives in relationship, not only with the Lord, but with one another. So let's read through this whole letter. It says, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer, to the beloved Aphia, Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers, hearing of your love and faith, which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, Yet, for love's sake, I rather appeal to you, being such, as, such a one as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains, who once was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. I am sending him back, you therefore receive him, that is, my own heart, whom I wished to keep with me, that on your behalf he might minister to me in, the, in my chains for the gospel. But without your consent I wanted to do nothing, that your good deed might not be by compulsion, as it were, but voluntary. For perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever, no longer a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If then you count me as a partner, 
receive him as you would me. But if he has wronged you or owes anything, put that on my account. I, Paul, am writing with my own hand. I will repay. Not to mention to you that you owe me even your own self besides. Yes, brother, let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. But meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be granted to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow laborers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Very, very simple letter. We're actually pressing into, I mean, this is like 72,000 years down the road reading one of your private emails. Yet, this, this isn't private. This is intended to be public and a part of the conversation in the church here in Colossae. So here's, here's what's going on. Anisimus is a slave. He is physically owned by Philemon. And for whatever reason, Anisimus ran. He left. And when he left on that journey, somehow, at some time, he found himself in Paul's presence. In Paul's presence, Paul shares the gospel with him. And in that conversation, I don't know if it was the first conversation they had, a conversation they had a week later, a month later, a year later, we don't know. At some point, it became important to send Anisimus back to make restitution, to have reconciliation within the body of Christ and with the man who owns him, knowing that for Anisimus, this could cost him his life. A, a runaway slave by law at this time was, he could be punished by, by death. So this is what the, the main idea that we're going to sit in as we look at all the relationships that are involved. And this is the reality of a transformed life. So as you sit in your life today, you have a history, whether it's been a really long history and you're aged like Paul defines himself, or it's been a short history. You, you have a history. You have your life experiences, your life circumstances. You have your, your blessings and privileges of life, but you also have those scars, those wounds. You have the stupid that you did. You had the sin and the hurt and the pain that other people have done to you. And that, that history of your life, it can breed bitterness. It can breed uh, insecurities. It, could, it, it has a legitimate, true impact upon how you interact with life today. How you were raised, the circumstances that you have gone through impacts what you think today. And that can have a lot of negative effects in how not only your historical relationships, but the relationships that you have today in the present. And in the present, those relationships that you have, those circumstances that you have, these are the things that press us down today, that can press us down today. These are those, those burdens that we are told to cast off, that we are told to come to Jesus. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. We pursue him to find rest. And that's this idea that Philemon provided refreshment, and Paul is seeking to be refreshed by Philemon through his behavior. 
when we think about our future potential circumstances, these are the things that can cause us worry and anxiety and timidity, all the unknown that uh, we can sit there and fantasize that's going to come across our path and just bring up anxiety and worry and just and keep us from doing any activity at all, right? Those are the human emotions that every single soul deals with every day. You have your history and your context. You have your presence and you have your ideas about the future. And apart from the transformation that Jesus Christ brings into our life, that's what human souls have to sit in. But as we talk about a transformed life, what is it that Jesus has done with your history? We look at, and we sang a song today about elevating the cross that all of our attention would be focused in knowing that Jesus Christ, our God, who created us, that became a human being for the purpose of sacrificing himself for our sins, to remove our sins, to atone uh, for our sins. We are told in Colossians that that account of your debt, that's writ, was Removed. It was nailed to the cross. So we, we see Jesus on the cross as he deals with all of our history. And again, the pain, the sin, whether it's our fault, whether it's somebody else's fault, we have our history that we hand over to him at that moment of salvation, that moment of freedom, that moment where we were defined as dead in our sins and now we are alive in him. He has transformed our history, past tense. And then the present tense relationship that we have with him, he's, he's transforming us today. Again, because all of my history, all my history and, and life experiences, they still influence who I am today, how I think, how I process. But there's a constant submission of myself, of my mind, of my heart, of my desires, of my circumstances, my relationships to him that even today is continuing to change how I think and who I am and in, my, in my inner man and in my inner self. And then I have this hope for the future. I can see what he's already done in my life. And I can say, oh my God, you have been so faithful. You have been so good. That wells up great confidence in me that you're going to be good today and that you're going to be good tomorrow and that you're going to fulfill your promises to transform me ultimately into your image for all eternity. And then again, this is, these are the promises that we sit in. So we have our personalities and circumstances, right? And we learn from one another. Today, we are going to sit across the table from each other and share a meal, and we're going to hear each other's stories. What's going on in life today? Maybe some of you are going to get to know each other for the first time and give some of your background, and this is who I am. This is what the Lord's done. This is why I'm here. This is what I'm hoping for, right? This is participating in one another's life. Now, we sit in these specific relationships. Who is Paul? Did Paul have his past outside of Jesus Christ? Absolutely. He was, a, he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, right? He has where he was born, his family context, his education, what he was pursuing, how he was pursuing a relationship with God. He has all of his history. He has his persecution of the church there that we see in Acts chapter 8, standing there as one of our brothers, Stephen, 
took stones to his head and died for his relationship for Jesus Christ. Paul was right there as our brother was being killed. In agreement with those stones being thrown at Stephen's head. Paul had his old man. And then he has his Damascus Road experience where he had an encounter with the resurrected, glorified Jesus Christ who knocked him down to the ground, blinded him. Who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus who you're persecuting. And Paul has this transformation process there in Damascus. And then we have the rest of his life that's preserved in, in Acts and his letters. And we, we have this transformed man. That, again, the Sid and Paul's personality, that when he introduces himself to Philemon, or as he's not introducing himself, but as he's addressing Philemon in this letter, he's not coming at him as the great apostle Paul. He just identifies himself. Paul, a prisoner of who? Christ Jesus. He's not a prisoner of the state. He's not a prisoner of his circumstances. He's not filled with bitterness and pain. It's Jesus is in control of the circumstances of my life. Paul is, we, we understand that the, the prison experience that he is in right now is while he is in Rome, just based on, you know, different ev evidences. But the reason why Paul is in Rome awaiting a trial before Caesar is because of what Jesus told him to do. He's gone out and he's proclaimed the gospel to everyone who will listen, not only to the Jews, but to the Gentiles. And as the Gentiles are coming to faith in a Jewish Messiah, what are the Jews doing who are still rejecting Jesus as the Messiah? They're trying to stop him. They are trying to shut him up. Paul was warned through prophecy that as he went to Jerusalem, that chains were awaiting him, and Paul still chose to do it anyways. In perfect obedience to Jesus Christ, in his life, in his actions, with all of the warning, as he enters into Jerusalem, and as he's worshiping God in the temple, he is doing nothing wrong. Yeah, what did the crowd say? well, we don't like what this guy is saying. We don't like what this guy is living for and standing for, and we know the effects that he's had in other communities. So, hey, we saw some Gentiles with Paul. They, they, they'd lie and say, Paul brought Gentiles into the temple. Kill him. Stirs up the mob. The mob is dragging him out, and a Roman guard intervenes. And Paul eventually asks this Roman guard for the opportunity to speak to the crowd, and the crowd shuts up as they hear him talking into their native language until he says what? The word Gentile. And they explode again. Paul is kept in confinement there in Jerusalem. The mob, it, it comes to uh, the secret compact that... Um, that they're going to not eat until Paul dies, these men that commit themselves to killing Paul. I mean, again, can you imagine in the service of the God who created you, we're going to form a pact together that we're not going to eat until we execute this. I mean, just insanity to me. Again, that insanity to me is because Jesus has transformed me. But that is uh, revealed. This Roman guard sends him to Caesarea where he sits for two years in his confinement, awaiting a fair trial, 
in regards to the false accusations that have been brought against him. And the reason why he's kept there is because the two different leaders who have the authority to release him, they want to keep the Jews happy. So in keeping the Jews happy, they're going to keep Paul confined unless Paul forks over enough money to release himself. I mean, that's, that's the whole motivation of what's going on. And after two years, the, the next guy that's in control, hey, Paul, can I take you back to Jerusalem and have a fair trial? And Paul says, absolutely not. There's not a fair trial in Jerusalem for me. I appeal to Caesar. And that's why he is now in Rome for the gospel. Not a prisoner of Rome, not a prisoner of the Jews, not a prisoner of anybody other than Jesus Christ, because Jesus Christ is in absolute control of his circumstances. Do you believe that in regards to your circumstances today? Even if the, it's the choices that you've made have placed you in the confinement that you feel that you're in, is Jesus still sovereign in that? Absolutely. So here's Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy. Is Timothy a transformed man? Timothy's half Jew, half Gentile. Taught the scriptures from childhood, from his mom and from his grandma. Gentile dad. So a blended marriage. In that blended marriage, the husband didn't allow um, Timothy to be subjected to circumcision, so to a Jewish rite. So division in that household. Paul brings the gospel into his community. Timothy responded to the gospel, stayed in his community. Subsequent journey, Timothy now attaches himself to Paul, but what does Paul do to Timothy? Takes him and circumcises him. Yeah, thanks, Paul. But the, the, the intention was because that they were going to go into Jewish communities. Timothy is known, so this wasn't a work of the law. This was to remove a barrier that would hinder Jews from hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ as Timothy was traveling with Paul. So therefore, Timothy subjected himself to that as a transformed man, knowing that the action was not required, but he still subjected himself to it. But here's Timothy continuing to minister to Paul as Paul's sitting in his circumstances and in that relationship and everything that's going on. Timothy is a transformed man. And who are they writing to? They're writing to this guy, Philemon. We don't know anything about him other than he is a believer here in Colossae. At some point, we don't know where, because we don't think that Paul ever came into this community, but Philemon heard Paul present the gospel, because Paul tells Philemon, you what? You owe me your life. That's a, that's a, that's a pretty bold statement. But think about it. Who shared the gospel with you? I, I, have, a, I have a unique privilege that, you know, my wife and, and her family were that real introduction to Jesus Christ. But when I sit in my relationship with my wife, I owe Julie my life. She is the instrument that God used to introduce himself to me. So I have that in my perspective in my relationship as I interact with her when I'm being a jerk and I need to say, oh yeah, I owe this lady my life. And she's a good wife. So Philemon heard the gospel. He's responded to the gospel. Not only that, so it says it's also to Apathia. 
More than likely, this is his wife. So as Paul is writing this personal letter to Philemon, he's also writing it to his wife because the wife in this culture, she would have the responsibility and the authority over the slaves in the day-to-day life. So this is just as much as the decision that Philemon is going to make in regards to Onesimus. Apaphia's wife, she is very much a part of this conversation and part of the conversation that they're going to have together as husband and wife. And what are they going to do with their rebellious property that is coming back to them seeking forgiveness? Calls Philemon beloved. You know, this is a special relationship Again, there's, there's more behind the scenes than we, than we know about, but we can imagine Philemon and Paul know each other. Philemon responded to the gospel through Paul. There's a special relationship. Paul can just say, not in some Christianese language, but very specifically, you're special to me. Not only that, you're a fellow laborer. You are working alongside, even not physically, but in the spirit, working together in the name of the Lord for the sake of the gospel. Your wife, Apaphia, is also beloved, beloved to me. Archippus, we were introduced to last week. Some of the commentaries think that as this is being addressed to Philemon's household, that Archippus may be Philemon's son. Um, that's possible, but last week we ended with this final encouragement in Colossians to Archippus where Paul told him, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. And here's the idea. If Archippus is Philemon's son, then this is very specifically um, just addressing the entire household in their relationship together and specifically to Onesimus as this household slave. But when it identifies Archippus as a fellow soldier, Epaphroditus is the only other man that Paul calls a fellow soldier in the word. Um, But I press more into that Archippus may be the bishop of Colossae. And this is the reason why. So it also says to the church that is in your house. So Philemon and Epaphia as husband and wife, they are hosting a home church in their house. It seems as though Philemon would be the pastor teacher over over the church that's meeting in his house. And as Paul is writing a private letter to Philemon, there is now also a public accountability in this letter. So it's not just being addressed to them individually in their household. Their household business is now being addressed to the church publicly. The church is going to be aware of this letter. This is not to be hidden. This is something that Philemon and Apaphia need to be accountable in, in their relationship to the Lord and in their relationship in the community that's meeting in their house. Because the church is going to watch their behavior. The church is going to listen to Paul's argument and Paul's words. They're going to sit in this truth and foundation of everybody having a transformed life and unified in Jesus Christ. And now the church that is meeting in Philemon's home, they're going to watch Philemon's response. And based upon his response, what are they going to do? Continue in fellowship or hightail it out of there because Philemon is not living for Christ. He's living for himself. Now, 
by the preservation that we have of this letter, uh, there's a great assumption that Onesimus is welcomed back in full forgiveness and sent back to Paul, but we don't have any of that history. Again, my understanding when it comes to Archippus, I think Paul is addressing the, a leader that's in the community so that the leader is aware of what's going on in one of the individual house churches because what's going on is a relationship that is not just in regards to this home. It really impacts the entire body of Christ because the decision that this husband and wife make in regards to this brother has an impact in not just their home church, but in the fellowship of the body of Christ in this community. Does this make sense? That's why this, that's why this letter is so important because it opens the door and exposes the complexity of all of our relationships and the need to not only have, know and understand that we have been transformed, I'm not who I was, but that as we interact together, we are all transformed human beings and we need to see each other as such. I need to, I need to press into our conversations individually that you, are, you, that you have been transformed by Jesus Christ, that you have received his image, that he is your Lord. That is going to radically transform the conversation and our relationship as we process through each other's personalities. Because what happens with our personalities? We bug each other all the time. Um, I've forgotten to make the announcement for the past couple of weeks. Our daughter got engaged a couple of weeks ago. Woohoo, pretty cool, huh? So last night we were at the engagement party. And we're being introduced to his family members. Now, my daughter is choosing to say yes to Valentine to the exclusion of every other man on this planet that she wants this man to be her husband. Valentine is choosing to the exclusion of every other woman on this planet that he wants my daughter Trinity to be his wife. They're choosing each other. I have no choice in the matter. I don't get to choose his siblings. I don't get to choose his family, any of his context. This is my daughter's choice, and I'm going to walk alongside of her in it, in, in all things, right? But as we were meeting the family last night, his family members, I don't have any choice in who they are. They come with the package. Now look around this room. You've said yes to Jesus. You don't have any choice in regards to who else has said Jesus in this room. You don't get to pick your family members. Jesus picked your family members. He created your family members. He's transformed your family members. And in that, in families, we all have conflict. We, we're around each other all the time. We're, we're just different. We process through different. We've got to go through all our, our issues together and those kinds of things. This is, this is a household in, in the body of Christ processing through life together. So not only is this a letter to individuals in a home, and their household business, there is also an accountability to the church in the role that they serve the body of Christ in this community. And in verse 3, it's grace to you. The you here is plural, so he's talking to the entire church from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. The rest of the conversation is all directed towards Philemon as an individual in the singular until you get down to verse 22. When he says, I trust that through your prayers, that's plural, that's the prayers of the church. 
And the same thing, uh, that I shall be granted to you, that you is in the plural, grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Again, he shifts from that individual conversation with Philemon back to the church community at the end. But now all the meat of it. Paul's consistent in all of his letters, whoever he's talking to, whether an individual to the church, he's always talking about, here's my conversation to our God about you, his, his prayers that he has talking about Philemon's love and his faith towards who? Towards the Lord Jesus. I love how he places an emphasis on the, the mastership, the lordship of Jesus over Philemon, as Paul needs to have a discussion about his lordship over Onesimus. His love and faith, not just towards Jesus, but towards all the saints. Listen to this, that the sharing, and this isn't the, the public proclamation of Philemon's faith, it's the, it's the koinonia fellowship of his faith, the participation in your life, in your relationship with the Lord, in your relationship with the body of Christ, that it would what? That it would be effective. That you and that others would acknowledge every good thing. And this word good, this is uh, good, has this, it's beneficial, it's useful in your life. And this is a repetitious theme, in, and there's a lot of wordplay as Paul is writing this letter. So Onesimus' name means useful. We don't know if Onesimus was born in his, as a slave, and that's what the master Philemon named him. We don't know if his parents named him Onesimus, and we're not sure how he found himself to be in slavery to Philemon. We don't have any of the circumstances of why he ran, we don't know how he got all the way from the middle of Asia Minor all the way to Rome. We don't know, again, like how did a runaway slave travel in this time? What, what kind of fear was he sitting in in regards to being captured? Did he just want to go see the big city Rome and think that he'd make it there? In Rome, like how did he, was he already a believer when he left? Did, was he a believer, well, he's not a believer on the way. Maybe he was exposed to the gospel. Uh, Paul says he shares the gospel with Onesimus and he becomes Paul's son in the faith. So Paul's the one that shares the gospel with him ultimately. But how did he find himself in Paul's house? Did he hear somebody, did he hear Timothy proclaiming the gospel in, in uh, a public square? Was it because of Epaphras? Epaphras is from this area. Did Onesimus know him and hear his name? And again, God coordinating the circumstances of, life, of his life to place him in Paul's presence to have a conversation. Again, so sit, in the, sit in the everything that it would have taken for all of these relationships to transpire and Onesimus' name, his uh, meaning useful, is what Paul plays on as he's conveying um, truth to Philemon. But that your faith, that fellowship of your faith with your brothers and sisters, that it would be effective by acknowledging the every, every good work, every useful thing that is in you, and the only reason that there is something useful in you is why? Because Jesus Christ is in you, transformed, useless before Christ, in Christ, useful, profitable. We have great joy, there's great gladness, there's great encouragement in your love. 
and the hearts, this is the, the, the bowels. Think about how much when your life, when you're in agitation, you know, the bowels are agitated. Your inner self is agitated. Paul's communication in regards to Philemon and his leadership as he is serving the body of Christ that is meeting in his home, what has Philemon done for them? Brought about rest and peace. I mean, this is, this is, we pray this for here. I pray this for my own service to you. That as you enter into here, that this is a place where you find rest for your soul, rest for your hearts. That this is a place where you are constantly pointed to Jesus Christ. Your relationship with him is exalted. Your relationship with him is affirmed and encouraged. Why? Because that's where, that's where the peace comes from. Go to Jesus and that's where you're going to find rest. Go to Jesus. That's where you're going to find freedom from your burdens. Go to Jesus. That's where your wounds are going to be healed. Go to Jesus. That's where you're going to find direction for your future. Go to Jesus because there is your hope for all eternity. Refreshed, given rest by you, my brother. Therefore, you know what, Philemon? I could be very outspoken and frank with my mouth to command you what is right to do, but I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to command you. I'm going to beg you. What's the difference? Humility. You know who has authority over you. You know who you have authority over. You know what conversation you can enter into and just tell somebody what to do. And in this context, this, there's, there's, this is dealing with human relationships. And there is counsel that you have given to other people, you know, as they're processing through a relationship issue where you can just say, I am telling you this is what you need to do. How well does that fly in that circumstance? It doesn't. It's the same thing with uh, choosing Jesus Christ to be your Lord. Somebody can come to you and say, I, I'm telling you, Jesus will be your Savior and will be your God. How well does that fly in your relationship with Jesus? It's all legalistic. It's, it's, it's compulsion by somebody else. It's false motivation. What is Paul's contrast? I'm begging. That relationship is broken. I'm begging you to love Jesus with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. I'm begging you to have a conversation with God about this. I'm begging you to go and talk to this person and to be a source of refreshment, encouragement, and reconciliation, whatever needs to go on. Do you, do you feel the contrast in the conversation? Because now where is all the weight? It's now on, if I, am, if I am coming to you, all the weight is on you in your relationship with the God that you say created you and the God that you say saved you, the God that you say has transformed you. If all of this is true about him, and that's your foundation, this is what we're doing as we counsel one another. I'm asking you and encouraging you and begging you and imploring you to stand on Jesus in this circumstance. And as you stand upon him and with him and in him, I have full confidence. 
that he is going to lead you in absolutely the perfect resolution to this circumstance. Amen? So Paul's not coming to Philemon and says, I could if I wanted to. I have the authority, I have the position in your life to command you to do what's right, but I'm not going to. Philemon, brother, I beg you. I beg you. And listen to who's begging you, such as one, as I, Paul, the aged. I'm an old man. Don't forget, I'm also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I beg you, and listen to this, for my son, Onesimus. Have you ever had anybody come to you and just, I'm begging for you to step into the life of my child? You know, this isn't this circumstance, but you have those relationships. Like, my child's not listening to me. My child's not listening to me convey the gospel. They're not, they're not listening to the warnings. that they're, they're heading in this direction. I can see the destruction. I can see the pain. I can see the hurt. I can see it, and I'm telling them, and they won't listen to me. I'm begging you. Would you enter into the life of my child? Maybe they'll listen to you. So Paul is in this position of father to Onesimus. There's a unique relationship. Paul watched this man step from death and pain and hiding and hurting and running away. And whatever, whatever all of Onesimus's life experience is, as he enters into Paul's context and Paul is sharing the gospel with him, Paul watches his lights go on. Have you ever watched anybody's lights go on in Jesus? What a, what a, one of the great joys in life. What are we told that heaven does at that moment? All of heaven rejoiced at the moment of Onesimus' salvation and at the moment of your salvation. Are you encouraged? I love it. But Paul, I'm, I'm begging you. On behalf of my son, Onesimus, I have begotten, I've fathered him in my chains. And this is where the wordplay is. He was once unprofitable to you, but is now profitable to you and to me. Philemon, I don't know what you've been med meditating on in regards to Onesimus and, and how he left and who he was to the household and all those circumstances. Paul's imagination can say that he was unprofitable, he was useless, he has abandoned his duty, he's abandoned his master, all the implications of the culture. And Paul's giving Philemon the testimony. This man that was useless to you, that was unprofitable to you, that may have stolen from you, that you have suffered loss from because he abandoned ship, I'm telling you, he's useful. I'm telling you, this man was dead, but I fathered him in the name of our Lord. Jesus used me. And this man stepped from a broken life and into a transformed life in this moment. And again, this is what, what's Philemon to do with this information? Because don't forget, as Philemon is reading through this letter for the first time, probably quaking in the corner of his house is Onesimus with Tychicus and maybe some other brothers that have just come into Philemon's home, handed him the letter to the church and handed him this personal letter in regards to this man that, here's my runaway slave. And Philemon is reading through this 
for the first time. What are his thoughts in regards to this? Again, there's, there's all kinds of um, drama that we can press into in our imaginations. Right? Begotten this man, he was unprofitable, but he is transformed. He is now useful. And what, a, what, a, what a testimony that is in, in regards to what Jesus does for each and every one of us. You have been, may have been a broken, unprofitable nothing, but in Jesus Christ... You're going to be fruitful in him, profitable to him, to others, useful, beneficial, good to you and to me. He has been sent back. Paul is encouraging him to welcome him. Yeah, what, what was Philemon's, you know, what, what was his initial emotion? Have you ever had that, uh, you have conflict with somebody and all of a sudden they've been gone for a while and you get the text, you get the email, you get the phone call, they're now in your presence. What happens to you physically? Any of you get nervous, the butterflies going in the stomach, the bowels are all agitated, not at peace, not at rest that he's talking about here? Philemon's sitting in those emotions and reading this. Welcome him just like you'd welcome me. And listen to Paul's testimony. I, my desire, I wanted to keep him with me, but I wasn't going to do anything without your agreement, without your consent. Therefore, I'm sending him back to be restored, for him to be forgiven in the name of Jesus Christ. I wanted to keep him with me. For what purpose? So that he could minister to me in my chains as he is ministering the gospel there in Rome. That's your consent. I wanted to do nothing but for your good, again, for your use, you know, your fruitfulness, your benefits, for your, uh, that your good deed might not be by, again, necessity, a requirement, compulsion. But I want your relationship with Jesus to be willing, to be voluntary. This is a, a lot of my perspective here, just as we gather together as a congregation. I don't want to tell you what to do in serving Jesus. I trust, I trust that you have your relationship with your Savior and that he is leading you what to do. Why? Because I want your service to be free and willing. There is more work to be done just within our body than all of us have the capacity to be able to fulfill week in and week out. If you want to do something, come ask. We'll put you to work. But I want that to be willing. I don't want to be up here and, and falsely motivate you through, you know, through the light show and through the fanaticism and, you know, all is good, don't pay attention to the bad stuff kind of attitude. I don't want to come to you as that religious leader that, that gives you the guilt trip. You're not doing enough. You're not giving enough. You're not serving enough. You're not loving enough. You are a loser who has not been transformed by, you know, has anybody ever sat in that kind of communication from the leadership in a church? I, to me, I just, I just run the other way. You can't tell me what to do. You're not the boss of me. Jesus is the boss of me. See it, right? Whatever you do, whatever you find yourself doing, let it be with all of your heart unto Jesus. The same communication that he's already given to the Colossian church. Philemon, whatever you do with Onesimus, let it be from the free, radically transformed hearts and life and mind that Jesus Christ has given to you as you interact with your brother. And that's what Paul is bringing to Philemon's mind because there is Onesimus standing 
face to face before him. Now listen, Philemon. Maybe God's the one that put it in his heart to bolt. Because what was the result? Salvation. Wasn't it, wasn't it worth missing a servant, missing an employee? Some of the work didn't get done. Was all of that cost to you, Philemon, worth it? Because what happened in the end? You just didn't get your slave back. You just didn't give your, your possibility of uh, production back. The kingdom of heaven gained a soul for all eternity. What's that worth? Maybe for this very reason is why he was separated from you. For the purpose that you might receive him forever. No longer a slave. More than a slave. A beloved brother. Listen to this. And not only does Jesus transform us individually. But how radical of a transformation is that in this culture? Where a master and slave. It's no longer that definition. You are now brothers in Jesus Christ radical as we're all made one as a brother beloved brother above all especially to me again just where paul is sitting personally and what he's trying to convey both in the flesh and in the lord philemon if you're if you consider yourself to be a companion with me in christ welcome him as you would me Listen how this is, this is like the Good Samaritan parable being, uh, it's being acted out in Paul's life. Because the Good Samaritan, right? The guy has just been robbed and he's hurting on the side of the road and you have the priest and the Levite that just pass on by, but what does the Good Samaritan do? Helps the guy up off the ground, transforms him, transports him to the nearest place where he can stay. And what does he say? Everything that this guy owes you for being here, put it on my account. When I, if this, if what I'm, the cash that I'm handing you, if it's not enough, when I come back, I'll repay you. And this is exactly what Paul is doing. Whatever it is that Onesimus owes you, Paul writes in his own hand as a contract saying, this is Paul, here's my signature, here's my own writing, I will repay period. Paul puts his, and the lack thereof, whatever cash and whatever he's got, he's probably, if he, if uh, Philemon is going to call Paul due, Paul's going to have to go to the church to request the fund, right? He's putting his name on the line for a brother, a brother that's been transformed, somebody that he knows, somebody that's genuine. Who's, who in your life, brother and sister, would you pin that down for? Does that make sense? I want you to understand like how, how uh, meaningful and how impacting this is. This isn't just a willy-nilly conversion. Paul doesn't have any question in his mind in regards to the radical transformation that's happened in Onesimus' life. 
that this guy ran from a master, right? And Onesimus is placing himself underneath the authority of Paul. He is there serving Paul. He is useful to Paul. And now Paul's putting on his, his name on the dotted line. Somebody that's already ran before from another master, willing to say, I will pay this man's debt to you. If he's hurt you, if he's injured you, if he's cost you, whatever loss that you suffered from his abandonment, I will repay. That's a brother right there. I don't even know if I could get my dad to sign that. Would you sign that, Dad? <laughs> I, remember, I can remember, uh, you know, growing up, my dad telling me, don't ever co-sign a loan for anybody. Why? Because you're going to have to pay it. I mean, there's, there's a lot of wisdom right there, but just but sit in that reality. Yes, I know my dad would put the ink down because I'm worth it. I'm a good son. But think about the weight of the relationship and the transformed life that's being communicated. And now again, sit in the room with one another as brothers and sisters in that, that true transformation that we should be able to pin that down for, any, for each other in our genuine relationship with Jesus Christ as we, as we know one another. And if there's a question mark, this is where the family conversation comes in. And again, there, there's... This is the family conversation that's happening right now. I will repay. Oh, by the way, just in case you forgot, Philemon, you owe me your life. That cancels out any of the debt, right? Paul had, Paul had a, an ace in the pocket, right? Or a couple aces in the pocket. Hmm. <laughs> There is a, I, I'm, I mentioned last week, and it's just, it's just this truth. The transformation of your life and the testimony of your transfer, transformation, how you communicate that, who you were apart from Christ, what it is that Jesus did for you historically, who he's been for you over all the years. As you communicate those things to me, as you communicate those things to one another, um, it conveys this whole heart and this whole idea that even what it is that the Lord has done in your life and the benefit that you have to me in revealing Jesus to me, it's, there is a debt that I have to you, if that makes sense. Um, we owe Jesus our lives, but as he brings alongside of us faithful brothers and sisters, there, there is a debt, there's, there's a desire in me that, you know, I owe you that same reciprocal uh, encouragement back to you. As you have encouraged me, I want to encourage me, you. Even as you have hurt me in different ways, I'm not going to sit in that bitterness. I'm going to turn around and we're going to reconcile that relationship and we're going to encourage one another. Because there's a debt that we have as we serve one another and ultimately we're all looking at the same Lord. Yes, brother, let me have joy. Let me have that profit again, this, uh, that benefit, that use from you and the Lord. Refresh my heart also. And this is a cool thing. Do you have confidence? And again, this is, this is for those people who you know really love the Lord. Do you have confidence that they're going to obey Jesus? But there's, there's so much freedom. There, I have a tremendous amount of freedom. I have confidence in each and every one of you 
that you're going to spend time with Jesus and his word, that you're going to pursue him and know him. I have great confidence that, there, that the Lord is going to keep you in that position in, in our body here that I, I listen to each other communicate, right? I listen to you, the words that come out of your mouth. They come out of this because you spend time with him. I listen to your, your words of prayer. This is what I'm praying for. And as you listen to the words that come out of the mouth, it's an exposure of what's going on inside of your heart. Here's your concerns. Here's your pressures. Here's who you're praying for. I have great confidence that you are not going to not only do what you were just suggested to do, but that you're going to do it above and beyond. Why? Because who's at work in Philemon's life? The Lord is. What does the Lord do? The Lord does exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can ask or think. Paul wrote that. So as he's thinking about Philemon, I trust Jesus in Philemon's life that Philemon's ultimate response to my encouragement and the reconciliation of this relationship, I have great confidence that Jesus is going to do through Philemon beyond all that I would even ask Philemon to do. It's going to do more so. And then in case Philemon, you're thinking about ducking and, uh, and, and just doing your own thing, I trust that the prayers of the congregation are going to release me from prison. So, hey, would you make up the bed? Because I'm coming to make sure that you're obedient. You know, there's, there's all these little, uh, little lines to make sure that Philemon is heading in the right direction. Why? Because what does your heart do? When you have the relationship conflict and you're sitting in your perspective, what is your heart trying to do? Usually self-justify. This is why I'm right. This is what I'm going to, if I ever see Onesimus again, this is what I'm going to do. This is going to, how I'm going to handle the situation. Here's the emotions. Here's the anger. Here's, again, here's why I'm right and listing out all the different reasons. Paul doesn't know how Philemon is going to process through Onesimus being in his physical presence, all the emotions associated with that. So as Paul pins this short letter, he's hitting every single one of the arguments that Philemon's flesh could try and continue to self-justify. And what does Paul ultimately do? Philemon, remember who Jesus is. Remember who you are in him. Remember the life that has been given to you. You were dead and you were alive and you have people that gather into your home in the name of Jesus every single week. And what is it that you're teaching to them, Philemon? Everything that you're saying as you're proclaiming the gospel in a transformed life, is it real? Is it true? Here's a circumstance to demonstrate to the church who you're accountable to that you're really transformed and that you're really going to live out the radical transformation of the gospel. Because what Paul is communicating is contrary to the law of the land. Again, Philemon can sit in all those self-justifications. But what do we have great confidence that Philemon did? I bet that there were some tears. I bet you that there was some embracing. I bet you that there was an extended conversation. Anismus, what was going on? Would you run? What was going on in your life? What was going on in the household context? What happened after you left? How'd you meet Paul? I know Paul. How'd you meet him? What was it that Paul said that Jesus used to get you? What did that extended conversation look like? 
Nismus, your, your faith is radical. I can't believe you came back knowing that I could have you executed. Whose life is Onesimus placing his hands into? Philemon's? Paul's? Jesus's. You gonna tell a runaway slave to go back to their master? Heck no. You're free. Be free. I mean, just again, think of think of the radical, how radical and transforming the gospel is and the transformed behavior and minds and hearts and lives and the trust that we place in Jesus to do that same thing for all of us in community together that as we sit in all of these really complicated life circumstances do you trust Jesus with the person sitting next to you and the person across the room from you yes I do amen be transformed all right worship team Heavenly Father, we love you tremendously. We give you great thanks that you have changed us. <laughs> I said just in that idea, Lord, uh, apart from you, for my life, it was, it was useless. It had no point. It was going nowhere. There's no end. And you chased me. And you revealed yourself to me. You told me what was true. And you caused me to stand before you in all of my brokenness and all of my sin and all of my open wounds and my festering and my corruption. And you asked me one question. Can I save you? Yes, Lord. You have the power to save me. You have the desire to save me. You did the work to save me by dying my death. I know that I am transformed in you because of your resurrection, that transformation from death to, to life. I believe this testimony to be true, not only out of Paul's mouth and others, Lord, but over the years, I've watched you change me. I've watched you chase me, even as I've tried repeatedly to run away from my master. There you were sending brothers and sisters into my life to encourage me to, to turn back, to go and to be reconciled with you, to go and have the conversation. Sitting with John in that promise that you were faithful and just to forgive me of all of my unrighteousness. From those ways that I spot myself, Lord, from the ways that this world just entices me away from all the activity of the devil and demons. There you are in your strength and in your glory and in your love and your promise that you are continuing to transform me today. And this is why we gather, Lord. This is why we sing. We need this reminder. We need this encouragement. 
And we need to be filled with that great hope and that confidence as we sing, Lord, I am transformed. There's no going back. And as I look into the eyes and the lives and the circumstances of those who love you, Lord, I trust each one of them in their relationship with you. And together, Lord, we link arms, we lift our hands, we pour out our gratitude and our confident hope. We still have a future transformation coming. In a moment, you are going to call us and we are going to be immediately transformed perfectly for all eternity into your perfection, in your holiness, in your heart as one. What a beautiful day. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. But as you wait, keep doing what it is that you do. Transform the lives of human beings, Lord. Use us to share the gospel as you used Paul to share the gospel with Onesimus. Each one of us, Lord, may you use us to father and mother other human beings in the faith. May you bless our, our relationship and our, our fellow working and our fellow soldiering together in this place. May we be here to, to encourage and remind each other, not out of fake religious motivation, Lord, but just imploring one another. Keep loving Jesus because he loves you. Keep trusting Jesus because he is faithful and he is good. It's in Jesus' name we pray.